Hey, Trails Collective. Welcome to the Trails Collective live show. Uh, this show, Ian Kuwana, Grace, and I talked with Chrissy Mail. Yes ultra running legend Chrissy Mail. Uh, we got to ask her a bunch of different questions about race directing, living in a van. Um, we had a longer conversation about longevity in the sport. And then in the second half, Ian sort of goes back to his roots with Chrissy. And it was a great show. Um, so look forward to that. And um, follow us on social media if you have the chance. And uh, yeah, just enjoy the show. It's, it's a real good one. Chrissy is a legend. And um, you're going to you're going to learn a lot from this one. So uh, catch you guys in the next one. All right, Trails Collective World, thank you for being with us uh, for this week's round of the TC Live and weekly rundown for the Trails Collective. Uh, this is streaming live on my personal Facebook page for all of you who are already connected, as well as the Trails Collective Facebook page and the YouTube page. Uh, for any who may be leaving comments, uh, myself and the guests should be able to see them. Uh, if you've got questions, you can plug them in here. Uh, but just know that I think if you're watching on my personal Facebook page, for some reason, I still haven't been able to stop to figure that out the past few weeks. If you are dropping comments on that page, I don't think that I'll be able to see them. We can see them after the fact and respond, but in the moment, I think you have to plug into the Trails Collective Facebook page or the YouTube page. So feel free to uh, check those out if you want to plug in. Uh, so I am stoked for this evening's episode, or if you're watching this uh, sometime down the line for the episode to come, we have a special guest on tonight, uh, Chrissy Mail. Uh, Chrissy and I have been friends, I guess, wow, time flies for over two decades uh, at this point. Um, and I am grateful for that connection and friendship and also have some supporters of the Trails Collective on with us this evening, which I'll introduce in a few minutes uh, to be able to connect with Chrissy and ask a few questions as well. And then we'll also have an RD or an event director from a new event down in West Virginia uh, run the summit. And we will bring Sarah in here in a second. So for this episode, what I'll do is I'll just run you through as uh, I do each week. Uh, with the hot list, some events, registrations that are open and about to cap out, just give you the heads up. It's always a bummer if you have a certain race that you are really looking toward and you get there and it's already sold out. Uh, so giving you a heads up there, registrations that are about to open for the same reason. A uh, few that are racing this weekend, uh, that will be a bit of a focus uh, or tie it into next week's uh, episode, I believe. And then we will uh, profile a new race with Sarah down in West Virginia. And then we will get into the front half of the episode, which will be our uh, Trails Collective supporters and friends uh, checking in with Chrissy. And then the back half, uh, just Chrissy and I connecting on, uh, well, you'll see what we connect on. So you'll just have to, well, stay tuned. All right. So here we go. Uh, so what's on deck for March 2nd, 2022 uh, on the hot list? Uh, the single squatch 5.5 and 11 miles are on the warning track at 90% full. Enchanted for a six-hour ultra running April 23rd in Stratford, Connecticut, up uh, a point to 96% full. Uh, the Blades 10-miler in Pocomoke, Maryland, running March 13th, is up 2% to 92% full. And the Breakneck Point Half, one of my events, uh, uh, it is now 95% full, uh, and that is uh, running on May 1st. So get in on that now. 
the the marathon distance, which is Sunday the first this year, we split it into two days. We'll enter the warning track here pretty soon. I'm pretty stoked that that is one of only two qualifiers for the U.S. Uh, trail team. It is breakneck and uh, some other small uh, race called Pikes Peak out in Colorado. You probably never heard of it. It's uh, definitely not as, as, as burly as, as breakneck point, uh, but, you know, um, good to be with them. Uh, registration is opening this week. Uh, Piedmont 8-hour in uh, Powhat in Virginia and on the Bacon Trail, the Naylor Mill Trail 7K. I've always gotten a kick out of that event. Uh, they are about to uh, open. And then racing this weekend, the Trails Rocks, last runner standing in Rochester, the Dark Side 8-hour in Clarksburg, Maryland, and the Naked Bavarian Leesport, PA are on my radar. And this year, the Naked Bavarian, not sure whether they got the tweaked course through uh, this year, uh, but a good series of events put on by Uber Endurance Sports, and they have a pretty solid, at least uh, front-end competitive field this year. But their events, uh, I've always had a good time doing them. Uh, so... Uh, that is what's coming up. Um, I am going to uh, bring into the episode uh, Sarah. And Sarah is coming to us from West Virginia with a new event uh, on deck. Sarah, uh, thank you for being with us here. And uh, introduce us to, I guess, yourself and what you got on yeah. deck with uh, Run the Summit. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having me on. I'm going to try and keep this brief. There's a lot, a lot going on tonight. Um, so I'm just putting together a new race called Run the Summit. Um, it's in Glen Jean, West Virginia on April 9th, and it's put on by Active Southern West Virginia. And Active Southern West Virginia is a nonprofit in the area, and all the proceeds from this event go to the free programming we provide. And one of those programs is a Kids Run Club, which actually I was coaching earlier this evening. So nice. um, all that, you know, that money comes to these these programs, which are really just designed to get folks of all ages moving and creating an active, healthy community culture. So a little bit more about the race. Uh, it's in Glen Jean, West Virginia, which doesn't mean much to a lot of folks. It kind of does. That's got some name recognition, right? Yeah. I mean, there are some, some things to see in and around Glen yeah. Jean. Yeah, we've got uh, the New River Gorge National Park is adjacent to where the race will be. At. Not a small thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think you know I think that's like a great a great way to get people to to come down and explore the area, and we just have a race that so happens to be right along the border of that. So this this event will have a half marathon, 10k, and a 5k trail race. Uh, the 5k also has a walking distance to just kind of increase inclusivity for all kinds of mobi mobility for folks, um, and uh, the the 10K in the half marathon would be more of a traditional trail race. Um, and all those trails are bordering the, the national park at the Bechtel Summit Reserve, which is this huge park that yeah just borders right along the national park. Um, and I think this event is really great for people looking for a family-friendly kind of race vacation. We also have a kids race. It's it's free kids race, which is going to be super cute. Uh, like wait, we have some four and six year olds signed up. Nice. I'm really excited mm -hmm. to see that. Um, Hopefully you can do a so, post race recap and get some of their, those four year olds. <laughs> just since three and four year olds say some pretty awesome things. They just smoked it, you know, just all uh -huh. out. I love it. Um, and so, yeah, after the race, you know, you do your, your, whatever distance you choose and you, you have the rest of the weekend to explore 
Glengeen and Fayetteville and Oak Hill and all, all the areas around the New River Gorge. Nice. And uh, rolling course, anything aside from just the area being beautiful that's kind of, you know, remarkable or draws or single track uh, or double or what you got? But a, a mix of everything. So we've got some some crushed gravel. We've got some double track. We've got some single track. Um, all, this, uh, this area was built by the Boy Scouts. So, you know, you can kind of expect mountain bike trails and things like that. So it's pretty flowy. There's a little bit of elevation gain, but it's nothing, you know, it's not like going down deep in the gorge mm -hmm. like Kevin Fever 50K last uh, last weekend. Um, yep. But yeah, so I would say of all distances, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty runnable. Cool. Right on. And uh, what, uh, remind us of the date? It's April or? April 9th. April 9th. And yep. where people can go to find more information or to register? Um, let's send everyone to Active Southern West Virginia. Uh, the I guess that would be Instagram. So it'd be at Active Southern FWV. And would it be okay if I just dropped a link on the Facebook? Totally. Page? Yeah, yeah. Or, you can drop it in the comments okay. uh, here uh, as well. Easier. People are watching it after the fact. They can just kind of check out in the comments. Okay. Yeah. It'd probably be easier than spelling it all out. So. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, I'm mentally, I'm feeling like a mental midget these days. And so even if you did spell it, I'd be all kind of confused and come up with some <laughs> yeah. sort of other website there. We don't, we um, don't want to know where it's going to send you. <laughs> yeah, that's not yet. Probably. Yeah. All right. Um, probably to somebody named Glenn and somebody named, uh, Jean and I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. how they are as a couple, but I'd probably find out. All right. Um, so in April, then it'll be good to maybe reconnect. Uh, maybe we can connect after the race, uh, and you can come back on and, and let us know how it all went down. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you giving me a platform to share about it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Totally. Yeah. And we'll uh, see if we can plug it more. So uh, Sarah, thanks for tuning in with us here and I will uh, check in with you next round. All right. Thank you so much. All right. See ya. All right. Uh, so with us uh, this week, also, we have a number of special guests. And we are just going to do that and make us all some teeny uh, tiny people. And uh, let's just run you through. So I'm format will be I will introduce you to each of the individuals uh, here. And let's just go from there because then maybe that'll make more sense at that point. All right. So uh, with us, uh, we've got uh, Kiwana Dyer, uh, Pietras, a relatively new transplant to upstate New York uh, with a more recent span in Texas. It was Texas, right? From I'm remembering that right. Uh, yeah, that was one of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and newer to the formal trail event scene, uh, we chatted just a little bit briefly before we went uh, live and had been on the trails for a long time. I just thought you'd find out uh, how it was just jumping in and, and running some of them, uh, let alone uh, events. And we got a nice small world connection. She's rocking the Chuckanut uh, 50K shirt, virtual edition there. Uh, so very appropriate for uh, this evening. And she has run uh, events up to 100K in that opening window. So nice work uh, going all in, Kiwana. And thanks for your support of the Trails Collective. Uh, great she's our newest columnist for the Trails Collective for our Rock community, on. our community uh, collective wisdom. Kiwana is going to be writing a column for us. So stay tuned for that. Sweet. And for all those who uh, maybe Ellie has already connected with and those are supporting the Trails Collective, thanks so much. And so we're basically just looking back at what people are using, what they're not, what's worked with the Trails Collective, uh, what hasn't. 
And uh, so as part of that, hoping to get more uh, frequent guest columnists to uh, feed into that collective wisdom. So Ellie, thanks for that outreach and Kiwana, thanks for, for getting in on that in advance. You bet. Uh, we've got Grace uh, Hot Pants Langhine and Hot Pants. Um, if you've seen Grace in Hot Pants, uh, you'll know it's very appropriate because the pants are, well, lots you can't really call them. I mean, really, lots of actually, what were you going to say? Go ahead. Say, lots, lots, of, lots of people have seen me in Hot Pants. Yeah. Lots of people have. I should, we should probably correct it at this point, though, because you probably have Hot Pants. When I think of Hot Pants, I probably think of something that's more like purple and velour or kind of like a velvet or something. I, uh, like, I could make that happen. <laughs> you, you could make that happen. But yours more appropriately are um, hot shorts. And then I don't even know if I'd call it yeah. really shorts because, I mean, they're really. It's, it's kind of like you, you think about the, the, um, the roller skating era with the tiny little shorts and the kind of teeny tiny shorts that are really tight. And um, and we called them hot pants. And I had a, a woman yell hot pants at me one time in a very kind way um, because my pants are my shorts are very, very short. And they even if they're supposed to be loose, I had somebody comment one time like, <laughs> I can't do the compression shorts. I'm like, no, these aren't compression shorts. This is just <laughs> this is I me, baby. Have yeah. large hips. Uh-huh. That's good. And for those of us who are old, like Chrissy and I, um, and I guess Kiwana, you're you're right in there uh, with our age range. I'm older uh, than you. You are older than me, which is um, by a year. Old, old. <laughs> uh, and I think I've got Chrissy by a year. So we're pretty close here, but we probably remember the roller skating days. I mean, I know I do growing up and going to roller skating things with school and they were awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I yeah. still like to do it once in a while. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, and so Grace, uh, also a, uh, from the get-go, a supporter of the uh, Trails Collective, a member I'm of the Trails. I'm just a supporter. I have or, no business being here. Like, I don't really have anything that interesting. You have as much business being here as any I'm of new. except for Chrissy, maybe. <laughs> um, and then uh, also active member of the PA Trail Sisters crew, um, which is cool. uh, great. And also has her good share of trail and ultra finishes. Most recently, the completion of the duck, um, yeah. which was a good turnaround and is on deck for a nice FKT coming. Uh, so, Grace, thank you for being on. And then some of you, uh, some of you may know uh, Chrissy Mail. And I just got to say that. So, it, <laughs> and this was. Funny, Chrissy, I think I mentioned it, but you probably just like picked it up in the moment. Um, so I think uh, Chrissy and I go back a ways, uh, probably from 2000, 2001, something to that effect. And and when I first met Chrissy, uh, very, well, I guess, whatever, 20 years ago, things are maybe probably a little bit uh, blurred or distorted in my head. But it seems very visual uh, where we first connected both uh, crewing or working at Cascade Crest uh, 100. Uh, I was... Uh, newer relatively newer to seattle chrissy was uh newer into the trail ultra space had uh, i think chuckanut and uh you you might have been it i think you had one other i think when i was actually prepping for this i did look and i think you oh you had white river ahead of that i think that was your first year at white River. oh yeah that would be right yeah, yeah and that then, would be right because yeah. mm-hmm. then i got yep. the montreal job right after that right and so <laughs> awesome uh in incredible time but 
when we first met, I, you know, whatever, casually introduce yourself as Chrissy, you know, I'm Ian, where I don't know, the, the trail space is new. I, I don't know. And then we just start hanging out from there. But I, there's no media, there's no YouTube, there's no videos, there's, you know, nobody is like a, a rock star like uh, Chrissy is uh, at that point. And I don't know. And so I, I had a good friend in college, which had a very similar spelling to your last name. And I and I her last name was pronounced Mole. And so I had always just thought that your last name was Mole, but I never used it. You know, when we'd interact or see each other uh, regularly, it was just, you know, hey, Chrissy, I'm never using your last name. And so it took us literally, I think, until you came out and did Cayuga Trails and whatever year that would have been, like 2015, 14, somewhere in there, right? Like 15 years or whatever it was after we knew one another. And I think I, I pronounced it. It mole and in the moment I think it's it's mail to you, buddy. And I was in that moment I just like, huh. I thought you were kind of kidding, but then I was confused. It was like, why why would somebody say it's mail to you? And I think I thought about it, but in that moment I was generally confused because here I was thinking for 15 years of our relationship the last name is pronounced mole. Um, so uh, Chrissy Mail, Chrissy Mail um, is with us here this evening as a. Uh, guest to go along. Part of my roots, she was one of my first uh, experiences on the uh, ultra front uh, out of college and very much, I think, shaped that segue idea of community and uh, what was possible in the early, early time or in the short time that we were uh, together out there. It was really exciting to really hear of uh, the adventures that uh, you were on and putting together, but also the crew, hearing about the the trail walker crew that was over and you getting to know Horton and hearing about races in the East and tying into, you know, jerk was uh, somewhat known at that point, but the pod that you were a part of, it was really, really fun just to uh, get to know you on the basis that we, we did, but also to have fun just hearing the adventures. Wasatch was still, I think new at that point and it was all just a young space. And so it was, it was really uh, fun, but, uh, so Chrissy Mail, uh, for those of you who aren't already familiar, uh, with over 100 ultra finishes, including wins at UTMB, Hard Rock, Wasatch, Grindstone, uh, Hurt, and a runner-up at Western States, Chrissy is truly one of the greatest trail ultra runners in history. Uh, growing up in Bow, Washington, before attending the University of Washington, uh, Chrissy was part of a truly incredible trail family, which we've referenced, which grew around the Seattle Running Company, uh, and had stints with uh, Montreal, uh, Nathan, Ultraspire, and the Conservation Alliance. Uh, in, in addition to current race director uh, of the Chuckanut 50K, the uh, her first ultra in 2000, and now which you've RD'd for 20, over 20 years? This is year 20. I'm celebrating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's wild. Um, she's a sought after coach, uh, is releasing a second edition of her book, uh, Running Your First Ultra. Is that still on deck to have just released March 1st? <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well done. Congratulations. Um, uh, March 8th is when it's supposed to be released, but um, I've been tagged on Instagram. People have been receiving them early, and I actually sent a note to the publisher and said, what's up? And she goes, let me know who's doing it. Those are not supposed to be in people's hands oh, yet. Oh, I was like, what? <laughs> Contraband product out there. Was it my fault? I didn't do it. <laughs> That's good. Well, at least I know I'm not on the you know preferred list and getting the book early, but all right. So uh, so also truly and probably most notable and significant, just a truly wonderful uh, individual. Um, thankful we're able to pick a bit of time off tonight to connect with you, Chrissy, especially I know it's a big day uh, for you on your end. So thank you. 
I know with the amount of coaching clients uh, that you have and probably also people asking of your time, I am grateful uh, to uh, that we're able to pick a bid off tonight. Uh, truly one of the greatest ambassadors Trail and Ultra has ever had. Uh, Chrissy, thank you so much uh, for being with us. Wow. Well, this is cool. I love your like scene and everything. What is the, who's all watching? Like, do we get to hear from people over in this chat or how does, um, how does so yeah. So uh, the first one in uh, is, oh yeah, actually Ellie's on it. Sorry, I just reversed what you did, Ellie. Um, I forgot Ellie's a controlling, uh, controlling some of the back end up there. Uh, so the Packer. first one, I know the first one to weigh in uh, is Fred Morello. He actually uh, is a, out of the strong Connecticut scene uh, of trail and uh, ultra running. They have a podcast, uh, Connecticut Trail and Ultra Running, uh, which they like to um, pick on Ellie a bit. But uh, so there are people weighing in. Uh, if there are some comments that that roll in, uh, we can patch them through here. I try not to necessarily break conversation uh, if it's happening, uh, but we can also see the comments. Uh, so there's, uh, it's broadcasting to my Facebook page, to the Trails Collective's Facebook page, and the Trails Collective YouTube. Um, I can't really see how many are on any, any given time, uh, but the episode will be live for, or able, to, not live rather, uh, viewable later. So uh, we'll have a number of watches tonight, but you can repost or go back to it or add comments uh, oh, later. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, and this was Let's something. All these communities, how people have gotten, become creative. Like you said, this, when we met, it was in a gravel parking lot with, I think, a line drug in the uh, <laughs> gravel to mark the finish of Cascade Crest. And these people were running 100 miles. And it's a little different these days. It is a little different these days, and you've really seen it all, and we'll get into uh, some of that here. Um, but to for this first half, so we're going to have uh, Ellie and Kiwana and Grace uh, weigh in with some of the questions that they had and just an opportunity to connect with you. And I took their questions and uh, divided up into three rough uh, concepts, which I can segue in here. Uh, so the first one is age and experience, which we kind of somewhat jokingly uh, touched on earlier, but that was uh, something... Chrissy, at this point, you have a lot under your belt. And I've, uh, I typically have historically not stopped to really listen to other uh, running podcasts or really catch up on other things. I've just continually juggling too much and I just don't take in other running media. So I'm somewhat not in the know, but I did take in some of this uh, prior to this episode. Uh, so I was able to uh, weigh in uh, here on some of what people have basically already connected with you on. And so some of this experience with the amount of wins you've commented also, and just how uh, I think you've evolved into the space where uh, maybe you're more, um, you're more patient. Uh, you are uh, choosing your events rather than racing a whole lot. Uh, it's important to you to uh, keep running on a daily basis and keep moving and events that would basically crush you aren't necessarily uh, to be taken uh, lightly. Uh, and so you've just commented in certain ways how I think you've grown into it, into the person you are now and how you see things. And that influences both you and your coaching. Uh, so age is definitely an experience, too, I think, to appreciate it. So um, so we've to weigh in on that a uh, question from uh, Kwana and uh, Grace and Ellie weighing in on some of those. So, Kwana, why don't you you lead us off there? Well, this one's, I think, pretty light and easy, just for the number of races that you've been able to run and win, right? At this point, what is your favorite distance and why? Oh, that is fun. Um, <laughs> I feel like I still answer that the 100K, 100 kilometer distance is my favorite. Um, 
I haven't done it in a really long time. I would just add to what Ian said. Like I've taken a break, like a conscious break from racing. The last one I really went for competed at was in March of 2018 in China. And so then throw the pandemic on pop, on top of it. And it wasn't even a, a possibility for a couple of years. So I haven't done the hundred K distance in a while. I'm signed up for the Miwok 100 K and I'm really excited to see if I still love it as much. I haven't run over 20 miles in four years. No, I've done a couple of longer runs, but it feels like a really long time. So it'll be really interesting to see if I still love it the same. The re Did you ask why and why? And why, yeah. And why? It was because I like that you could be done in a day, but it was long enough that my skill set actually started to, to favor me. I'm not, the people laugh, I'm not fast. I just stay the same pace as long as the race goes. So I'm not the one that's going to go out and set a course record because I went out hard. I'm the one that's going to be able to finish at the same pace I started at, you know, 80 right. miles later. So I the longer distance, but the hundred milers, even when I was racing a lot, they just always took so much out. Like I love race. I love racing. I love running daily mm -hmm. and I didn't, wasn't able to run for a couple of weeks after those. And that was. You have to stop for a bit, I would imagine. I still I need, I haven't done one yet, but <laughs> I can yeah. only imagine. Yeah. Just, I mean, there's movement still involved, but it's, it's a bigger tax and toll on the body and people that can do these 200 mile events or multiple hundred milers, you know, mm -hmm. I think the most I ever did in one year was six or 700 milers. And there's people that do a monthly, like, you know, a couple times a month and we've all got different, you know, bodies and how we adapt and how we want to use our time, I guess, is part of it, too. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Do I get to Great. ask questions back or no? <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. I just like uh, back to you, like throw back to you in a similar vein. Like, have you fallen in love with the distance yet? Or are you still thinking there's maybe something more that you're curious about? Well, I ran um, my first 100K last September, and for me, that was it. I did a 95K the month before, self-supported, was supposed to be 100K, long story. Didn't quite work. The park closed, and I had to leave. So I, did, I, I needed redemption, so I did 100K the month after, and I was sold. I was just okay. amazed at being able to go that distance. Um, for me, like anything sh shorter now is not quite enough anymore. So mm -hmm. next up though, besides another one of those is a hundred miler. So I'm just, I'm going to keep kind of testing the waters, but at this point, the hundred K, like the way I felt after that, it was epic. So. Ah, yeah. very cool. Awesome. Grace rolling in. Okay. Ah, so I love to hear that you're a little bit human because the most you've done is six or seven hundred miles in a year. That's just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> seriously. Because <laughs> you don't do 100 every month. So I have to tell you, um, first, my, um, like, seriously, you were so beloved by so many um, trail runners out there. And in addition to that, female trail runners. So thank you for inspiring all of us. This was my, I have to tell you, this is... Um, uh, I have, of course, the fancy watch, right? So I got the fancy watch and, and Ian sends an email and I see it's from Ian and it says interview Chrissy. It just says Chrissy. And I see that like the preview of my email on my watch and I work from home 
so nobody else is home or anything. Nobody else is home anyway. So I, I just go, mail? Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> because in my head, I'm like, I'm not gonna, like, I'm not gonna embarrass myself in front of Chrissy Mail. That's and I did pronounce your last name correctly. So you knew it right. It took Ian 15 years, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. nobody was around here though. Yeah. Um so uh, I'm really excited to ask you a couple of questions because I did hear you on a podcast recently and I wanted to dig further into a couple of things. Um, one specifically was the new chapter, and I don't know if you added multiple chapters into the new edition, but one of the chapters you added had to do with, it was something about aging and that's- Longevity. Longevity, yes. And I, it was kind of glossed over. There were a lot of other topics that were awesome. And I wanted to hear more about that chapter. Um, I'm 39 now. And I'm like, when am I supposed to think about these things? And then Camille at 40, right, mm -hmm. just broke a world record. So apparently it's not 40. So <laughs> at what point do we really need to focus on longevity? And um, could you just tell us more about that chapter and what inspired it? Oh, I love that you broke broke into that. Um, you have to remember, I wrote this over a year ago, <laughs> the the whole book, so the actual specifics. But um, I do think longevity is a part of the like the thought all along. Like it doesn't just start at one point, because like the things you do in your twenty out fueling always comes to mind. Sleep, recovery, the things you do in your day to day life are what or going to then equal longevity, right? Like how many, if you overtax your body by not fueling or sleeping or running too many miles, whatever too many miles is that like up for debate, but um, like that, that's where the longevity piece comes. It's not like, Oh, now the clock starts because I turned a certain age. Like I want this sport to be a part of my life. And I knew that. I think that's actually the real gift is I knew that in, when I met Ian in my early twenties that like I'd been a runner and identified as a runner all through high school and college ran at the university of Washington as a walk-on, but like the, I don't know if it's like fitting in or whatever, but just the energy that I put in came back through this sport. So I make a lot of decisions based on being able to do it forever. So like when I finished that race in China and I had this feeling of like, wow, I'm done. Like I'm done with the co competition. I know I want to run daily. So now figuring out what that looks like, like those all play into that long haul. So in the ch the chapter in the book, there's like a mentality approach to it. Like how do you like, you're not like, well, oftentimes if I'm interviewing a new client, I'll say, I'll just make it really blunt. If it's just like a checkbox list, you want to run a 50K and call it good. I'm not your coach because if we get three weeks out from your race and there's like, yeah, you could run it, but you know, like this hasn't come together or we're seeing the stress in your life or, you know, I might talk somebody out of running that 50 K for their longevity so that, you know, a month from now you'll be psyched to go run it. You'll have a way better experience at your first 50 K. And then you've got this like happy, this like kind of trail train heading that way. So, um, the, so the mentality approach, um, like taking care of your body along the way, not letting niggles become injuries. I call niggles like those first things that you kind of go, well, can I run through it? Should I not? Like, don't let them become injuries, do the little things. Um, and then I think 
the finding your why. And uh, that's a worksheet now that I also will make available on my website once the book, well, apparently the book's out there. We'll see. But um, <laughs> like making sure like when you sign up, Kwana, for your this hundred miler, why are you doing it? Because like a bell buckle is not, a, in my opinion, is not enough of a reason. Like when you get to mile 80, it's hard. If you like somewhere along the way, it's going to be really hard. And you need to be able to know why you want to stay in it. And if the why isn't like present in that moment and you're able to go, that's not worth it. Right. Like that, you've put all this work into this experience and then for it to like shoot out the door at that moment, because you also need to be able to go, that's my why. And I still need to stop and be okay. Cause then that prevents that. Like, Oh, I've got this monkey on my back or like, if you make the decision to not finish, you should like three days, three months later, be like, that was the right decision for me that day and be confident in that as, as opposed to that dragging on feeling of home. Oh. <laughs> like if I, if I would have, could have, should have, like, I would hope that you would have that confidence in that moment because you've, done the work and prep ahead of time to know that this is the smart decision for me to step out right now. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the bits that are in there. I'd have to like, I'm like yeah. tempted to like peel open the pages <laughs> and like see if there's some other little bullet points that I could call out for you. Oh, I appreciate that. And I love that you're pulling that in already with, you know, there may be a lot of people who are new to trail and discovering trail and ultra later on in life. And calling that out early on and saying like, hey, this could be something that you do for a long time. You don't have to do it all today. I think is a good message. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for bringing that one up. And then Ellie, you had a few uh, from you still being in the young uh, hot seat uh, that you're in with. I mean, not that you've not been doing it for a while now, uh, but you're, I shouldn't even say going into the prime years, right? I mean, because you're, I guess, historically thinking, and Chris, you can comment on the physiology maybe better uh, than I could at, uh, at this point for sure, would be, you know, maybe whereas the prime years of uh, women's marathoning maybe was bell curve top out at like age 36 or whatever. So Ella, you'd have X number of years ahead of you before you hit that. I think when I was first getting into the, the space, the thought was, at least my thought was that maybe an individual had a certain amount of uh, top or full in like road marathon efforts. And then you're just cooked. Like that's, that's to, if you're going to use the matches that you use, uh, Ellie, or to a certain association buckets that maybe you've referenced to, uh, Chrissy in some of, uh, the way you've referred to things, like you can only go to that well, like so many times and road marathoning, I felt like you had a couple hard efforts, but ultra, as we were getting into it, I thought it was different. I thought the in- intensity was maybe a little bit different and, you wouldn't necessarily cook your system like you would with the road scene. And then that proved not to necessarily be the case, right? I mean, we saw some of those around us and still pretty much like frying their systems. But but then you also, to Grace's uh, mention, you've got people like Camille going, doing what she's doing uh, at the age he's doing it. Or last week, you've got Jeff Browning, who's continuing to do it at, at 50. Like it's it's pretty nuts. But so Ellie, assuming that you're, you know, 10, 15 years behind us uh, at this point, um, weighing in also on some of the considerations uh, of age. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask, uh, what are the most important athletic investments that I can make now at the age of 30 to keep performing mm-hmm. as I get older? I, I like that athletic investments. <laughs> That's a good way of terming it. Um, 
and I'm kind of piggybacking on how Ian led into the question a bit, like in terms of people burning out or what is our prime? And I think it, you're saying like, how do I keep this going? That burnout piece, I also wonder, is it, or sorry, the prime piece, is that, is that an age or is that a number of years? Because like when I got into the sport, people were in their late 30s and 40s. I was 21. And so when I got to my 30s and 40s, I already had 15 years of, you know, I was at probably at 75 races at that point where some people had just started at like, they say 35. So I, in, in 10 years or 14 years, there's like that difference. So does that affect the prime? Like if you came to 35, maybe, you know, having had a career and kids, and then you started running at 35 versus having, so those are questions I have. The sport is a lot younger now. I'm like, it was rare people starting in their twenties then it's not so rare now. Lots of people are starting younger. So it'll be interesting to see how all of us do. Is it like, is Jeff Browning and Camille, are they anomalies? Are they like these like one-off things that we can't necessarily model after because of what their physiology yes. and makeup and background and everything, or are there things that we can all bring in? So well, I guess what I kind of meant was like, so for example, one of the things like I started a couple years ago doing like mobility and a lot of strength work and, um, but not like lifting heavy or throwing weights around, just doing regular like body maintenance, foam rolling, myrtle, hurdle drills, things like that. And I started doing that like a couple years ago. And um, just from when I started running and now like I can tell my body is just much more durable. I mean, part of that probably is also I've raced more and my body gets smarter and stuff. But um, like I'll stop, I stop runs earlier so that I can just, so I have more time to do mobility work and such. So I was just wondering if there were other things like that, that like, oh, you should probably like start that now. And it might not be like an immediate, like, oh, this like made me 10 seconds faster, but like in three mm -hmm. years or in five, 10 years, I'll be glad that I started it now. Mm -hmm. I would say mostly for the habits that you're creating. That's incredible. Trying to get somebody that has been running for 15 years to start a mobility when they a mobility program when they just love running and would rather maximize those last three to seven minutes of their run. Like I'm just gonna run. Like I'm, I'm typical. Like I don't do my hair because I would rather run. Right. So I wash my hair and like I'm like it's just a silly example, but like there's things with your athletic investments that would be like good priorities. That is awesome. And that's a hard thing to train. I've had to learn it later in life. I was definitely the like run as long as I could be at the computer with wet hair, getting my work done at, you know, 9am or whatever. So those are great practices. The one um, I always think of strength work, um, fueling and recovery and recovery has become a way more key word now than it ever was before. And fueling and sleep both play into obviously the recovery piece, but setting up good practices for that. Now, I do think that fueling it, the conversations are starting to be even more broad and open, but unfortunately, and even in my era, like my era, gosh, did I just date myself? <laughs> sure like coming, <laughs> coming up, like, like, yeah. <laughs> um, but being like light was a thing, like the lighter you were, the faster you would be. Or, and so there was a, a fueling, I, or I wouldn't call it an eating disorder, but a disordered eating approach where there wasn't this like, like abundance or plentiful or as much as you can't like 
that attitude towards food is still changing. Like I had an interview with some um, kids here, here I keep doing it. But, um, <laughs> Did it again. About fueling for their runs. And I told, I was trying to talk about abundance and like when you want, and they, you could see them walk down and I'm, I want to go talk to their coach in the sense of like, what is being said to an athlete that they would hesitate to take in fuel after running. Cause if we're moving our bodies, we need to fuel them. They will look however they're supposed to look. It, like there shouldn't be like a food association to how you look if you're moving your body. And that's how I'm approaching it now. Does that make sense? No, Ian, sense? you should not, Ian should stop shaming me for my flaming hot Cheetos mac and cheese. That's all, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say right now. There's no food shaming, Ian. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> if you could just see the picture of what she texted me, it was terrible. I was like, I just listened to your high fat episode, or, you know, the, with Jeff Browning, and he was like talking about nutrition. I was like, I was, I was in the grocery store. I was like, I was inspired to buy this. It's like flaming hot Cheetos mac and cheese. You just used the term nutrition to re refer to it, though. There was literally probably nothing. There's nothing remotely natural. Oh. Like, there's like 350. There's fun. There's that. There's that. Soul food factor. Soul food uh, factor. That's how I get my hot pants. <laughs> but it, like something's better than nothing. So you know, if you're saying like there's like you just said there's 350 calories of energy, doing that instead of nothing is better in my book. Like I would rather you put something in than completely skip a, a post meal fueling opportunity or full post run fueling opportunity. I should reach out to Frito Lay and we can stock it at the store, Ian. <laughs> or maybe now Chrissy's got to do some shopping for Chuck and Nut coming up, and you're if she, you know, if that's a request for the eight stations, maybe she's gonna check out some. Uh, who knows? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> Um, um, my right. next question was, you are very accomplished and you're one of the best ultra runners of all time, but what's a personal accomplishment or task that you've mastered outside of running that gives you sort of like the same sense of fulfillment that, mm. you know, I mean, you sort of mentioned like since China in 2018, you haven't been racing. So what's something that like, if running were to go away in some capacity, what is something that would still, you'd still be content with like the Chrissy male that you are? Oh, um, you took the question just a slightly different thing. I was going to say van life because I feel like the fact that I could live in a van for 20 months, like that feels like an accomplishment, like like learning it about is. power and electricity and, you know, figuring out places I felt safe to sleep. And But anyways, but I really don't want running to go away. So that's a hard question. So I guess that actually goes back to what Grace asked about like longevity. That is such a priority for me that I won't... I, I will knock it back as much as I need to in order to keep it as a daily thing. And that's, I think, where the decision to not race as much or or do as long of training runs or whatever is so that I can keep it present. Um, but like you, like I, I do find other things, cycling, yoga, weightlifting once or twice a week. Like I do move my body. I've actually got into dancing. I joined this thing called Club Mob and you can like learn these different dances. My dream is to do a flash mob someday. Like if I, I wasn't did. a runner, I would I chuck a nut. Yes. <laughs> so I would find something else, but I'm pretty content to stay focused on how I keep that running form of movement in my life. 
Yeah. A lot of times in my training journal, I write, don't be greedy. And it's just Mm. like, take the miles that you have. Don't wish that you did another or something like that. It's just, I like that. Yeah. All right. So so are we all meeting up at a flash mob? Yes. With flaming hot Cheetos. (laughs) And hot pants. John, he's great. Flaming hot pants Cheetos. That's happening. Yep. It's good. We can probably work on that. I, I that could be one of those sponsorships. I don't know how long I've. I don't know how Coke is not embraced. Embraced as an example, Coca Cola, the like Trail Ultra Space, the amount that that's out on courses and consumed mm-hmm. to not really be directly pandering to athletes or even using it in ads. Like I feel like that's a big missed opportunity. Let alone even thinking about flaming Cheetos. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So moving on beyond uh, the fact that uh, Chrissy and I are older, but Kawana is even older. Uh, the next one were some questions about uh, Chuckanut. Uh, Chuckanut is very personal for uh, Chrissy. It was her first ultra. It's in her uh, relative uh, neck, in the wor- neck of the woods. It shaped who you are as the story goes. If, to finish your first, it was as long as you were as long as you were smiling at aid stations, you wouldn't uh, get pulled. Um, and so, very personal. And then to go on and direct it for over twenty years now. A uh, big part of who you are, a big part of uh, the community that's around you that you've been a part of. Uh, so, a couple uh, individuals or a couple questions rather uh, weighing in on uh, Chuckanut. So, Kwana. So, during the pandemic, I'll just, I had it written out, but I'll just paraphrase it. So, I remember during the pandemic because so many races were being canceled. And I was bound and determined to run my first ultra that year. I started signing up for races that were offered virtually to try and also help the race directors that were having to cancel the races. And anyway, so I ended up doing the Chuckanut 50K, got the shirt, got your book. I love what you wrote in the book. You probably don't remember because I'm sure you signed a few that year and most years. But I noticed, though, for me, it was a great experience, and I felt good being able to support you. I'm N equals one, but every little bit, I think, during the pandemic helped. But I noticed this year the race was back, and I was excited to see that. But I just got to thinking because I had kind of been out of touch. Like, how did you – how was it during the pandemic for you? I mean, besides stressful, but, like, how did the Chuckanut fare? You guys make out okay, or was it, like Mm – I'm just wondering, like, what happened? Like, how'd it go from your end? Um, 2020, we were 10 days out when Governor Inslee made events larger than 250 people, um, like took them off the plate. So I, the only thing I had not done was put, I had a grocery order written up and I had not delivered it to the co-op yet. That was the last thing that we had to do. Shirts were being printed. We ca- I called this, I went for a run and listened to Inslee's announcement on my earbuds because I figured whatever news I get I need to be moving because it's gonna suck if I'm sitting at a desk um and I ended up stopping in the middle of the inner urban and crying like I just couldn't believe like that was 18 years I'd been doing it like what something could actually stop me believe me the wind the rain we've had ice we had my parents' basement flood. We, I blew up my dad's truck. Like there's been so many things that on the back end that runners don't know about that could stop the race. And like, it took, well, it took a pandemic to stop us. I'll, maybe we'll just put it that way. And I called the screen printer from the trail, like, please stop. Like we can't, we can't do, I don't want to screen print 600 shirts or 300 shirts. 
anyways, it was really devastating initially. Um, but then the community, like as everybody's going through it, you're just having your own personal experience and seeing that like we're all in this together. The um, ginger runner, Ethan and Kim Newberry, uh, they were a month after us with Tiger Claw. And then we created the Race Directors Collective. There was eight of us out here on the West Coast that tried to come up with a, it ended up being nine pages. It started as like 50 pages of how do you put on an event in a pandemic? Like, so the rallying of race directors together, uh, along with runners and stuff too, I'm just answering your question specifically, but the, the way that people tried to come and like deal in the moment was really cool to be a part of. So I, I feel thankful for that. And then we got creative for the shirt that you're wearing for the virtual event. We didn't feel comfortable. Our community has been very conservative and we wanted to honor that in terms of how we came back to events. And so we did all virtual in 2021 and the created these segments. So the January and February had segments in March, you ran the whole race. And it was really cool to see how that built up for people. And I had a lot of, it was mostly women come up to me because I went to the course on race, what would have been like race weekend and the weekend before and saw people. I ran all, I ran up and down the inner urban so many days asking random people, were you running the track event? And if they were running, I would turn around and run back in to Fairhaven Park with them. And there was a couple of women that were like, I wouldn't have thought I could do 50K. But the fact that you'd set these segments up, I thought, well, I can run, you know, six miles and four miles and, you know, divide mm -hmm. it up. Mm -hmm. So then in January, they ran the 50K and then over six days, then they did it in two days. So they tried on one day in March and like the look of disbelief, like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? So um, that's cool. We still got to have that bit. Um, and so we've carried the virtual forward. So then coming out of the pandemic, that was a lot of work for, we charged we charged half the amount of money and got a third amount of registrants for the virtual year. So, and it was all new. Like I know how to put on this in-person race. It's a lot of work, but I know how to do it. That was like, we are creating from scratch. Right. Um, so the nice thing is like our, my co-RDs have been awesome in carrying that forward. So that work can still have a place and do the virtual alongside the in-person event, mm -hmm. but to be honest, I'm just so excited to be in Fairhaven Park on mm -hmm. March 19th. Like, oh, it'll, yeah. it'll be special, I think, for sure. Yeah. Like, Are you able to join us this year? <laughs> um, well, I wasn't planning on it, but I, oh, in person, no, but if yeah, there's okay. a virtual, I could probably wing it, although that doesn't tie in well with the longevity part. But I could probably wing a 50K. Um, but yeah, I had mentioned um, somewhere that my sister actually lives out in that direction. And so eventually it would be pretty awesome to head out that way. I just have to obviously plan for it. But yeah. Is anybody else on here coming? Yeah. So let's jump to you, maybe Ellie, and then we'll yeah. go to Grace. So yeah, Ellie, you weigh in. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm coming out to check on. I'm very excited. Um, oh, that's right. Now I remember why I know your name. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yes. Um, so what is something someone should make sure not to miss when they visit Bellingham? Hmm. So I'm going to be out there for a couple of days, hanging with Ian's brother. Oh, well, <laughs> he'll show you around. <laughs> we'll show you around. Um, where are we going here? I mean, I could go food. I could go trails. I could go. Breweries. Well, uh, the day after the Breweries. race, we're not completely dead. We could do a short little run. 
Mm -hmm. We are doing a run through the local running store, Fairhaven Runners, on Friday morning. It's just, oh. I think it's going to be like a three mile deal where we show you the new finish. As a new participant, it's probably like you'll follow the markings. These people that have done it 10, 15 years, it's going to take like, you know, somebody standing in the middle of the trail, like, no, you don't finish on the inner urban anymore. We're sending you into the hundred acre woods. So we're going to do a preview run on Friday morning before I think it's like eight or 9. AM. I'll, I'll put that on the website soon. Um, but you'll see the course. So there's other great trails like Lake Padden is a beautiful, like it's like 2.7 miles around the lake. It gives you a good sense of the vibe and energy here. I think um, Galbraith is another one. Um, the North Chuckanuts are beautiful. So we don't actually utilize the North Chuckanut trails. Um, we are more on the South end, but there are like some really cool routes up like Raptor Ridge and Hemlock Trail. And, oh man, I can't rattle through. I know them, you know, I know them from running them, not like the actual names of them kind of thing, but mm -hmm. yeah. So cool. for running, okay. yeah. And then there's like, even the urban runs, like we've got the Bay Trail or Whatcom Falls Park. Um, like there's ways to do urban running that can incorporate trails. And then you get a sense of town too. Like you can connect Fairhaven to downtown Bellingham on the Bay trail, like things like that. Cool. Yeah. I love it. Here. <laughs> there was, and well, good grace, but I was actually just looking for it, um, this afternoon, Chrissy, and I wouldn't expect you to necessarily know, um, but I couldn't refine it. So Jerry Lindgren, do you know who Jerry Ling, do you know who Jerry Lindgren is? I'm sorry, you know. um, well, you should, but that's okay if you don't. Uh, so Jerry Lindgren was uh, historic or historically one of the uh, best distance runners uh, that the U.S. has basically ever produced. But he was also out of Washington. And I think he did his, if I remember right, he also went to school at Washington. By the time he started University of Washington, uh, he was already, if I remember right, a uh, had run in the Olympics, had already held a world record and there was something else like along that line where just incredible before he even started. Um, and then he was one of the ones that would basically go head to head with Prefontaine uh, back in the day in those races, but he grew up somewhere in your neck of the woods. And he was a, he was a really big mileage runner. I don't remember what he used to do. He used to do, I don't know, hundred to like to 200 mile weeks wow. uh, like all the time. And one of his runs was kind of like legendary. I think where he'd, I can't remember what town he was from, but he'd basically like run up to like, I don't know, whatever, like Mount Baker or something and then run back or it turned into these like 40 or like 60 mile runs, whatever it was that he would just, I don't know, do because that's just what he did. And that was like part of his training uh, or whatever. Um, but I'll have to look for it. I just, in case he was some, what of like a uh, local or Washington like legend, I thought maybe you would ring a bell, but that's okay if it doesn't. It sounds like some lore I need to be aware of. Yeah, <laughs> and it's pretty amazing. It I, I, I ran yeah, into you him. Made it up. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I, I may have exaggerated there. I can't remember what it was, but it was along that line. I ran into him uh, in the time when I was living in Hawaii. Uh, he kind of just, he disappeared basically off of the scene. Um, know a couple decades ago i just basically like vanished uh, just dropped out uh and hmm. he ended up he was in hawaii and so i was actually uh at a group run at nike town Honolulu or something like that and uh and he was just like out there and um and he just showed up and it was like wow like that's jerry lingren and he was kind of like almost like a hermit type uh individual and 
he was, I don't know, running on like two fractured fibulas or whatever like that in terms of just the impact on his body over time. But it was like, wow, like that's where he is. Longevity. This is what Longevity. Longevity. Uh, incredible. Um, all right. So sorry for that little uh, tangent there. Uh, but Grace, also you were uh, had a question or comment on yeah. chunking up. Thanks. I don't want to forget this, by the way, Ellie. Um, you're going to be at Bavarian this weekend, right? I am. Are you? Yes. Yes. I hope, I hope you pass me. I'm doing the 20 miler. You're doing the 40. I'm doing the 20 miler too. Okay, never mind. Maybe she'll pass you anyway. Maybe she I, I'm going to be nowhere near her. I'm. Oh, this is exciting. Front. Oh, it's going to be fun. So if you stick around for a few hours, I might see you. I will. Well, I have nothing else to do. Good luck. That is a good segue. So Chrissy, Uber Endurance puts on a, a number of events. One of them this weekend is Naked Bavarian. And they put on just really, they have a really vibrant uh, community following around their events. So in case that's where Grace was going. Aid stations. It is a stacked race. And I, literally, I just signed up for it a couple days ago because I want to see the finishers for this. I am really excited about the men's 40 miler. I'm excited about the women's 20 miler. It's, it's exciting. So that said, you know all about community races. Again, I wanted to dig a little further into um, you talked about Chakanat and how the, it's a community race and the community has embraced it. And I, I dabble a little bit in race directing. Of course, Ian, he race directs some, some big stuff, right? And I wondered if you could talk, talk more about that and what should, like, there's a couple of races that I'm looking at creating, right? So if you were to be creating a race now, what mm. thing, what advice might you give to a race director to make sure it is embraced by the community and has that really great community feel, but it's still, you know, well-run, professional, all that stuff? Mm -hmm. Gosh, I mean, it's kind of one of those questions, like, how did you be, or how do I become an ultra runner? Like, there was no path to say, you know, you meet Scott Jerk when he's won his first Western States, and then you, like, run with this person, meet Ian at Cascade, you know, I'm sorry. So, like, but when it comes, like, if I look in hindsight, I, I didn't have this path. I didn't say, if I do this, then this is going to happen. That wasn't how race directing unfolded for me. I just knew I loved the thing and I didn't want it to go away when the founding race directors said they were done after 10 years. And that's, I took it over when I was 24. I didn't know what I was doing. So those first couple years were kind of mimicking what Doug had done. I remember printing off uh, registrations and driving them between Seattle and Bellingham to all of the running stores. And then people would mail me a check for $13 and I would deposit it into my own bank account and I would type everybody's name into a spreadsheet to create the results and everything. So like start, like talk about starting from the roots. And I, but I think what that does is it's like, I know every level of this race from those early days. And it was all driven by like this love for it. I guess advice for that is do it in a way that is like um, do it in a way that is sustainable for you that you can keep that kind of passion for why you're doing it. Okay. Because I've been asked to do other events, and I've turned them down because I I don't have what I have for Chuckanut to do multiple times a year. Mm -hmm. Like it would to me, it felt like it would I would have to make it more turnkey, 
And that's not what I want checking it to feel like. So that was, that was a personal decision. And it's also my knowing my own energetic level, like what I have available on an annual basis. Like if I also want to go race or, you know, adventure or whatever, you know, life is evolving and those things are changing, but like I, I've stuck to that. And that's, I think I come into it with such enthusiasm and ownership, like I, I have two RD, co-RDs now that have been with me for about five years. And I still correct myself because I'll say my race, my, this is mine. Like, and I'm like ours, like I'll I have to correct yeah. myself, but I just, I have this, it's the most consistent and long like term thing I've done other than my own running. So I feel like that drives a lot of it. And then the fact that our community I didn't live here for a lot of the years that I was a race director. I've ping ponged around the States a bit, or I guess between Oregon and Colorado and here and down in Seattle, but I've only lived in Bellingham since 2015. Mm. And so a lot of people that lived here and ran the race, everybody knows somebody that's run the Chuckanut 50 K, but nobody knew who the race director was. And so it just it kind of created its own, like gathering because this thing would pop up in Fairhaven on, you know, the third Saturday of March and people would just like, Oh, I want to go cheer that on or whatever. And, and then they volunteer and maybe get an inside scoop at that point. But it wasn't until I moved here that I would hear people talking about it those first couple of years. And if I threw out that, Oh, I, I'm the race director, it would be like, wait, there's a race director. Like, it was like, it was almost <laughs> like it magically happened or something. Cause the kids, so like, I don't know how you advise on that. Like, don't live in the community that you put it on. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, I think that's really helpful. And um, I got approached to, to help with something not too long ago. And I have some extra um, space in my life for it right now, but it's not super exciting for me. Mm. But I have some other things that are very exciting. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to think on it some more. I think that was really helpful for me, at least. I, I One of the races that I race direct, I just love it. Every year, I get so pumped up about it, and I'm not pumped up about this other thing. And I think that's uh, a big takeaway. I appreciate it. That's really telling. I think it is in Chrissy's comment, as well as in Grayson, just how you're feeling, too. And I've talked, I've heard this expressed. Actually, another friend who was an RD was in the store yesterday, and we were, he commented on this, where we've, had the opportunities to try to assist other organizations uh, with uh, races. Uh, and I've tried a couple times over the years. He had tried a couple times. Uh, and you just, and to Chrissy's point, like you can't, like, I can't, I can't bring that energy. I can't, I can't do it. Like I can't direct somebody else's uh, race like that and feel sustainable or feel good about it or, whatever so you know if that's the case that when you're feeling grace too just know that there's a lot of us that just can't do that either like maybe some people can do it for a living but in, unless it's it's my race and in, in emotion i can't do it either yeah um all right so what event have you what is it the one that you put on that you're currently involved with that you love doing every year um, so I do a couple things every year. I have, uh, there's a, a series, the York, York Roadrunners have a um, race series and I race direct the Dallastown Wildcat 10K, which is a okay. very hilly road course that has an uphill finish and people hate it. And I love seeing them puke at the finish. It's so much fun. And I hug everybody. And um, I have a 
very tiny um, women's trail running camp that I do. And then I have a couple fat ass things. So I have the wild and hot turkey trot, um, which is at the same time as the road turkey trot, but we go in the trails and drink fireball. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. Those things are a lot of fun. Very fun. I love that. Have you learned the Gore-Tex trick as a race director? I don't know the Gore-Tex trick. What is this? And I can get away with it because I live in the Pacific Northwest and we put on the race in. I did we. Look at that. Um, we put on the race in March. Um, so it typically is at least drizzling, but head to toe Gore-Tex because when you like hugging people, whatever they have on them, like Gore-Tex is an oh, awesome yeah. barrier. <laughs> I like that. I've done rain boots. I have restricted in rain boots before. That was super fun because everybody's like the lady with the boots. That's, that's the one you want to talk to. And I usually have a fanny pack because your hands are free when yeah. you have the fanny pack. And that has all my things in it. That's a bold move. Bold move going with the fanny pack. I mean, maybe Chrissy has certain takes on fanny packs since with her time with Ultraspire and other entities creating gear. A bold move wearing the fanny pack. Yeah. Well, I'll it from myself, but <laughs> fanny packs have more um, more options for fun colors than ultra. Now, ultra aspire, I I do wear their gear when I run, but race directing, all about fanny packs with flowers on. You can wear it as a swing too. There's different options. <laughs> I have all right. All right. So the third uh, third topic uh, area. Uh, for this uh, front half, and hopefully we'll uh, get back half the coaching uh, angle. So, uh, Chrissy, I have not been coached by you, but I imagine you're uh, an amazing coach, uh, sought-after coach. Uh, you bring so much experience to the table, so much thoughtfulness uh, behind it. Uh, so, also, I, I feel like it's synced with your path, right? I imagine you actually you you mentioned it in one of your other uh, interviews that I was just uh, listening to, where. In the beginning or when we were first getting into it, like trail and ultra coach, like what? Like that, that wasn't, yeah. yeah, that didn't really exist. Right. And if it, right. A few people, um, but it's, it's one of the uh, angles that now does exist uh, and has been open to you. And also with the way that your life has gone uh, in being uh, somewhat nomadic uh, at times or moving around uh, coaching is one of those things that can very much uh, fit with that. If not, uh, in some maybe ways benefit uh, from that. But uh, so, so getting into to coaching, um, Ellie. Yeah. So um, as I look towards this next year, I'm going to be doing a lot more traveling than I ever have before. So how did you get comfortable traveling so much without having really like a home base? Mm. I don't know. I don't know if I got used to it. <laughs> I think the drive to travel was so strong. It was hard at times to be not have a home base. Like, I I think I do best when I, I, I simplify it. I do best when I can picture where my bed is. And so, like, even if I'm off and I'm, you know, leaving for one trip, coming home, dropping one bag, picking up the other, this really happens, and then going if at least I saw my bed, like I saw where home was, but there's been, well, the last 20 months, my bed has been my van. And so I've had to like change that thinking to not just like, not just the whole space. It really narrowed down to where is my bed? Like before it was like, you know, I had my kitchen stuff and my couch and blah, blah, blah. And it, it got really 
I had to have wherever home was to do well. When I moved here, I had my stuff in storage and I lived out of five duffel bags for five months. I was traveling so much and it got really disruptive. Like internally, I didn't do well because my bed was in a storage facility with a bunch of stuff stacked on top of it. And I couldn't touch it until I found a home to live in, but I wasn't in Bellingham to look for homes. So if I let my mind go down that route, it could be really stressful. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think, well, since I've just in the last three years really found like a good meditation practice, I think I've always like had a connection to meditation through my movement, but now I have like a conscious, like, Oh, this is what meditation is practice kind of thing. And it helps me be really understanding of what the present is like right now, as Ian kind of hinted at, I slept in my, I bought a house. Um, so after 20 months of living in the van, it closed Monday and I slept there last night for the first time on an air mattress Aww. and my stuff doesn't get delivered till next Monday. And I could be really like, just anxious about the fact that I, this morning I didn't have a pot to boil water in. I was just like, how, you know, but like I had these things to do today and just to stay like, this is what I'm doing. Not like, trying to like figure all of that out all the time. I think mm -hmm. that applies to like the men, it's a mentality piece of how you approach it. Like, how do you choose to approach traveling a lot and like, and preparation. So I'm a, well, if you see these books, like total spreadsheet dork and I have packing lists for wherever I'm going. So then if, if it means I'm only home for 12 hours or 24 hours, like bags are packed, like really making systems so that your transition isn't super tricky or stressful and, and having those systems. And I'm also reading, actually, I'm gonna throw this out. This random book got mailed to me. I have no idea who sent it. It showed up. I didn't order it. I checked my backlog of Amazon. I did not order it. And it's called Vagabonding. And it was written in 2001. And it is so applicable to my mindset, like how I, I approach the world a lot of times. I'm probably even more grounded than this person is, but talks about how the more simple you can make it, like you don't have to have everything planned all the time. What do you need? Like, and I often got to the point where I was like, if I've got a credit card, I'm okay. Like I, I don't need to have X hotel reserved for three nights and then moving to here and then on to the next thing. And so there's, it, it really depends on how you want to travel and what you're traveling for. And, but I think that it, I boil it back to mindset. It's like, cause it can get really ungrounding and unsettling if you are longing for something else, if you're longing to be somewhere else or have a, something under your feet or whatever, it'll make the travel experience not, it won't last as long, I guess that maybe that's like the longevity or sustainability piece or something. I, hope, I don't know if that was kind of talking off the cuff there. I hope that was helpful. No, yeah, it, it makes sense. Yeah. And, and I was trying to wrap that also together conceptually with the coaching. Cause I feel like it's been able to kind of go hand in hand and Ellie's been able to relate to you someone that level too, where she has moved around and she actually also lives in a van uh, for mm, mm. a bit. Very um, cool. How long did you get to be in a van or do you still? Uh, seven months. Seven months. Right on. Yeah. yeah. All right. And then Grace weighing in on also the uh, coaching angle. Yeah. Oh, man. People who travel in vans. I, I grew up poor. And when you grow up poor and you've lived in trailers and apartments, like I have no desire, none. 
people are like, oh, it's a tiny house. It's so cute. I'm like, nope, I want a big house. I want a big house with lots of space. I want lots of stuff. There. <laughs> uh, and that's all the different experiences we all bring to this, right? It's yeah. the mindset. Totally. Yeah. Um, so uh, like Ian said, you, you coach, right? And you wrote this book that has training plans in it. And um, the second edition, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but for anybody listening, the second edition, you wrote it so that it can be written in and you've got like, you, the intention is like dog ear these pages, write in it, um, you know, use the training plans and resources and all of those things. So you've essentially put something together so that people could um, could like self-coach, right? Not everybody um, mm -hmm. wants a coach or can afford a coach or whatever. Yeah. Um, but can you then bridge that and sell us on, let's say there's somebody who has a coach, loves coaching, loves their coach. Why should that person read your book and what are they going to get out of it? Oh, that's, thank you. That's a great lead in. Um, I, well, I guess the, the thing I would say is like a coach offers perspective, right? And what I could put in these pages the hardest thing about writing it was like making it one way and like no one person is one way. So that's where the coach gets to be the sounding board and like um, work with your life. So then when, when somebody calls me, I don't get the question very often, but sometimes like, why wouldn't I just use your book? Why would I hire you? It's like, you can just use the book. That's why it's out there. And if you don't want to figure out how to customize these plans to your life, that's what, I love doing like I I want to know when you were up all night because the kiddo was sick or whatever and so no you're not going to go do your long run the next day let's switch things around mm -hmm. and and there's people that can do that for themselves like just like pulling in for like I know I need to get these things you know these six things done this week and this is how I'm going to work them around my schedule then there's those of us that don't want to do that that jockeying and have someone like point that out and I, I'm so stoked that there's so many coaches now because there's so many different perspectives. I, I really gravitate to this like first timer, like the one that's like just coming and like, what else is there? Like just sinking their teeth and they're oozing ultra running because they love it so much. And then I'm like mother hen, get out of the nest. Cause I want like, go find, I'm, and I've coached people for eight years. Like, it's not like I'm like, I have, like you get like six months and off you go kind of thing. But as long as there's like that meant that like um, curiosity that's going in once it shifts, if it shifts and some people it doesn't, but if it shifts to like a, well, now I want to set my PR or I want to take five minutes off my 50 K time. I'm not your coach anymore. And, and so I think that that's lovely that we have so many different hmm. opportunities with coaching. So I that kind of in a roundabout way answers the question, like the book is just another perspective to add to your curiosity of the sport. And there are other pieces like the, um, another update we did on this one is the table of contents is more like an index. Mm -hmm. So if you have like a question, you could go and look that up and go right to the page. So it doesn't have to be a cover to cover read. So it can be more of a, like a reference. So there could be some stuff like, well, how would Chrissy answer this? Like, maybe it's relevant. Maybe it's not. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But you've got another perspective on it that could start a conversation with a coach or running buddy or yeah. race partner, whoever. Yeah. <laughs> and can I give a, 
I was just going to say a quick plug on that to follow up. I actually use the training plan that Chrissy has in, well, the previous oh. version, the version that is supposed to be out already. That's what I used all last year. And it was, it really, I, it was great. So for, if anyone is wondering about the book, so here's another plug, I would get it. Thank awesome. you. For sure. Oh, I love that kind of like community mentality of it because that really is, I think, what makes a well-rounded trail runner is getting this piece of advice from this podcast and this person mm -hmm. who I ran with last weekend and then this book mm -hmm. I read. And so if I, which I have coach and I coach, right? So even if I'm coaching, for example, well, there's just another resource I can pull in another perspective, because mm -hmm. like you said, there's so many different um, solutions out there for different types of runners and different situations. So really, yeah. I think lends to that community, um, uh, just mentality that we have already about trail running that there's not one solution that everybody should follow mm -hmm. um, like there might be with some other sports maybe nice. yeah but i think that's why this one speaks to me being an extrovert like people get me <laughs> all the perspectives all yeah. the <laughs> i bring them all in sometimes yeah. it's a little overwhelming but i do bring them all in <laughs> and then we dance about it <laughs> right on <clears throat> well if uh chrissy if you're still good i'm going to transition into this uh next wave um so kwana uh grace uh thank you so much for being Hi. on okay cool yeah. thank you nice and to meet both of you chat with you likewise thank you absolutely appreciate your time and maybe we'll both end up at the uh, starting line of uh, chucking up uh, one of these years as well, or connect, or maybe we'll be able to pull Chrissy back out here into uh, onto this uh, East Coast stuff. East Coast. Let me see how Miwok goes. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Uh, Kiwana and Grace, I will uh, talk to you both later. Awesome. All right. See ya. All right. So, Chrissy, we'll try to feel this out. You know, you let me know when, uh, uh, when it's time. But uh, so – it's been fun in the prior ones, kind of like you referenced in terms of running as a whole, like there wasn't really necessarily a plan. I think with maybe one of the uh, first root sessions here, I just thought it was fun to look back through some of the photos. And I guess being in the digital age that we are now, there's so much of a record of where we've been. Uh, and I don't dig too deep, but I think it's just fun to be able to look back and to celebrate and to reflect. And I think it also cues or makes some of the memories and, and maybe comments more uh, visceral. Mm. So I am going to start, there's a handful here of, um, I guess, questions or concepts related to uh, photos. And the first one is uh, basically like a four-part photo thing. Um, so I am going to, let's see if I can uh, bring it up here, lead in with, bear with me and hopefully it doesn't get uh, botched. I am going to lead in with that one. Oh, goodness. I oh, think goodness. I know where this whole series is going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what would um, the Chrissy of here, uh, your your high school uh, days there? That's, that's eighth that grade. Was, oh, it's eighth grade. Wow, look at you. I, I mean, that's my vantage point of growing up as the kid who was always the the, the short kid that never really sprouted up. And all of my, my dance dates uh, were mm -hmm. like 
a foot taller uh, than me. <laughs> so I'm putting myself in my shoes and I probably would have been up to your, your elbow, uh, maybe right there. <laughs> um, but with your um, background, so putting yourself in those uh, Chrissy shoes, let me see if I can make it work if I do um, this. So you can see this, right? Is it still working? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So with this series, so the Chrissy back then of all the places that ultra would take you from Washington, I mean, you grew up in a really beautiful part of uh, the wood or part of the world uh, rather. Um, but as a kid back then, you couldn't have known the places that that sport, that endeavor would take you from mm -hmm. uh, Switzerland to, I think this was is this South Africa. Yes. That's the otter trail. If I remember right. South Africa uh, to Tanzania. And this, we actually had a small world occasion or a connection here. One of my uh, daughter's uh, best friends here in town, uh, her family actually lived in Tanzania for a while and they were friends. I think it was with that individual. And so it just came Simon up in conversation. Yes. And they were like, we live there. And oh, actually we were friends with this runner. And I was like, I think one of my friends was in Tanzania for a bit. And so um, it was kind of a nice small world connection there, but to oh, Tanzania so cool. to representing the, the U S as uh in world team. And I think that was in Europe, if I remember oh, right, France, yeah, France, um, to down to Chile, uh, with Yassine. So, Nuts. <laughs> um, yeah, like it's, I mean, this is kind of, it's taken you to just some absolutely, just amazing places, amazing experiences, amazing uh, connections. And um, so I don't know, just taking, just thinking on that for just in a split second or whatever. Well, the first thing you made the comment about always being shorter or whatever, but I've always looked taller in photos because I'm so long limbed. So it's probably <laughs> only like five foot two or something, but you did just, look tall there. I just look long because my limb, my arms and legs are disproportionate. So <laughs> Uh -huh. I think it helps me as a runner. Like I, I'm not, I, I like the length of my legs, but I do look taller than I really am. But the, <laughs> um, the perspective or the way you took that in terms of um, travel. I mean, I grew up in this pretty small farming town in called Bow, Washington and went to, I, I mean, I, I loved my high school experience. I think most of what that, those photos represent to me is this attitude of like, I, I want to try I'm in what what's next, what's possible. And like, I, I don't, I don't say no very well. And it's maybe something that I'm trying to do on an energetic level lately. Cause I just don't have the same. Um, I still have quite a bit of energy. I don't know who I'm fooling here, but like, I, um, I love just having the potential and possibility. And that just seems to always open doors, whether it's for travel or like the way I bought my van was a totally like crazy story. Like I just, I love how life kind of pieces together that way. And I made reference in the previous version of how, like when somebody says like, I want to be an ultra runner, how do I do it? And I, I feel like they're looking for the like, well, I went to med school, I took this test, I did this, you know, and that's, there's, it's not a path of that. It's like, follow your heart. Where do you want to go? Answer yes, try it, and then be willing to divert paths. Like the Conservation Light Alliance, the time that I did there was a really telling, like when I took turns to, to that and then away from it of 
I look back at those points and be like, man, if I had stayed at the Conservation Alliance, I can see where my life would have looked and led. Like I would have stayed in Bend, Oregon and a lot of wonderful things. And then there's all these like ping pong places that I ended up over here that wouldn't have happened. And neither would be bad. It's just like being able to see where like these choices you make along the way end up taking you. The other thought that just real quick it brings up is like, man, I had to think really hard where some of those were. So in saying <laughs> yes a lot, sometimes you don't create memories. It's like there's so much sleep deprivation and like maybe not enough nutrition while you're out there. And like, and then you come back from one and you're off to the other. Like, do you remember what you got to do? So there's there is a little bit of balance there that's that maybe interesting. I'm not always I'm not always in on. Yeah, that's interesting, right? And that's but that's that. Hmm. And I'm just dwelling on your response there in the second too, because knowing it, as long as I've known you, you were always off like on these uh, adventures, but um, I could see how that would be a thing too. And especially in the context of uh, how hard you were going in life, whether it be uh, working or organizing or uh, running, um, that's uh, pretty right in, into who you are and what you were doing. I mean, there's some, each one of those is a really intensive it, uh, venture or ever. So maybe your earlier point, you're only doing six to seven hundreds, which is, which is right. A laughable concept in terms of only doing six to seven. Right. I mean, you're no Hans Dieter Weiser, you know, whoever, but like yeah. doing six to seven hundreds a year, let alone how you were doing them. Um, I mean, that's wild. Um, all right. So let's go with this next one. Um, and I don't even remember where I pulled this one from. I don't think it was your page. Um, but I love the photo, um, maybe because it, it has some meaning for me uh, as well. You're not going to be in the photo, um, but I love that it is given the color treatment that it has been. It speaks to me to, I don't know, like thinking back to like a simpler kind of like fun time, but also really speaking to the uh, community that you were a part of. And um, oh, my. Right. And so just <laughs> like the. And we, we, you touched on it, right, with the community around the Seattle Running Company. And, and that was yep. your segue on just running with uh, the boys or whatever and, and welcoming you in and, and establish maybe your level of, like, competition. But here where we just mentioned some of the butterfly effects and spun off, right, where these individuals also went and their impacts in the world and the trail scene. And uh, this was uh, 2003, I think, if I got the, the date on my tag right. Um, so, I mean, that's got to flood in some memories for you in terms of looking back on it as well. Oh, those are all the guys that got me in right away. Except, is that Mark Goodell? Yes, I believe so. Okay. I didn't. I don't think I knew him, but I think the that I remember. And, the hat and glasses were kind of throwing me off on him a little bit, but then I, I think it's Mark. The other three are super identifiable, identifiable in my world. Ian, Ian Torrance, Hal Kerner, and Scott Jurek. Oh man, yeah. And then the van behind it. I mean, that could be like a, like a Patagonia photo in terms of like <laughs> Yvonne Chenard. Like, talk about legends. Like, you know. Um, oh yeah uh what else would i say and like how they've all gone off and spurred their own running communities ian through coaching how through the store scott through like public speaking and the, the boulder community and everything there's yeah that's like, a really cool photo i like the coloring and everything like you said it makes it totally talk yeah. about era right <laughs> Right. Talk about air. Right. Our air. I mean, clearly that we had the technology at that point where the photo could have been cleaner. But that that's that to me gives me the feeling of feeling that I have in just 
thinking on that time. And I, I, I don't think I've, I've always, I think I've met the three of them like in passing or whatever, but didn't know them with like any depth, but still just knowing who they were and how you all, how things really spun off from those is, I don't know. It's a pretty cool feel. And, um, and so it just speaks to, I mean, I don't know. Um, let me stop sharing this here. The, uh, kind of spinoff effects and thinking of early in the sport there. I mean, you still traveling uh, quite a bit. Um, do you feel like that's still, you're still seeing the same communities? Like, can you do that again? I mean, yes, there's trail pods. Like Boulder was a pod. Bend became like a huge pod. But it's almost like there was a, a one shot to a certain extent to, like maybe we were a second generation getting into it, whatever. There are obviously a lot of ultra people that were in it uh, before us, but it seemed like that was a, a renaissance of sort and to go from there. And I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's new people, there's new races, but, but and maybe it's just from my vantage point, but you, I mean, can you do that again? Do you still see those happening? I think it's just happening on a much larger scale, right? Because like, the other piece, you've said this before with technology is that we didn't have, the way to connect when we weren't at the events. So we would either meet up and go trail running if we were in our local community, or we would see those people like, like in our, so in that photo, Scott Jerk and I would train together, right? Cause we were in the Seattle community. And then we would see Ian and Hal and Mark at events. It wasn't like, it wasn't like you then like followed each other on Instagram and knew what they're, you know, that they were having kids or getting married or like, all the other life stuff. You only found that out if you got, if you got to share time on the race course with them or sitting around whatever said potluck was being hosted at the finish line afterwards. And there's a different kind of bonding that way. So now you show up at races, you know, all this stuff about uh, any, any person you choose to follow on Instagram, vice versa follows you on Instagram knows that you've done three other races before you even are standing on the starting line with them. Like the, the conversations are different now. So it's on this like in, information, larger scale. And then the numbers of people like I joined, there's this women's FKT project up here in the Pacific Northwest. It's awesome. There's trying to tip the scales, like in terms of how many women's FKTs are set in the Pacific Northwest relative to men's. Cause it's, it's just really mm-hmm. And so they put this huge initiative towards it. There must have been 70 women on little screens on Zoom. And wow. I was like, there were maybe <sighs> 70 women in the sport when I got into it. Like uh-huh. I knew all of them. And now I just logged onto this screen and saw all these women that are talking about setting fastest known times around here. Like, it's just incredible how the growth is. So like to answer your question, I don't know if it can feel the same. Because that is so unique to what those times are. But I do believe that there's like similar sense of community being formed. It's just, it's, it's not, it's with technology, it's zoom screens. It's then meeting up and having those like smaller experiences like we had, but that was how we had it. We didn't have the other beef to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I guess, and that's, that's good points. Right. And, And in that sense, it does reinforce that, even if some elements it's not going back because yes, there, that is still happening, but I, mean, I guess I wasn't really thinking about it in that sense until you just said it where, I mean, to your point, that really did color the emotion, the connection, the, the experience of the events was 
there was so much more there and not that that still doesn't happen, but you're right. It's not nearly as deep or potent or in that regard, meaningful uh, for community as it once was uh, around that time. Or may, uh, but me like, but I guess I would also argue like, why is it less meaning like to know more about somebody before you stand on the starting line? That's not less yeah. meaningful. No, it just changes the meaning, right? Like you're not, it's, um, it's almost like spreading out that, that relationship uh, with somebody as opposed to fusing it all under one event. So when you show up at a race mm. yesterday, so maybe still sharing the time, you're sharing the space, you're connecting over uh, a common effort. Um, but I would, but I think it still changes because then it's more consolidated around the experience of that event rather than mm. this being the interaction, how you share with people a hub out there. Mm. Um all right, so let's go um, slightly uh, around, I guess around the same time uh, it was happening. And this was a common thread that has been in the root session so far, and it's really very much, and I, I know that uh, Ian had come uh, before you, but this was, so, all right, well, I'll just bring it up since you are, you'll already know where I'm going, but the, um, Uh, and there'll be, I've got two here, uh, <laughs> but just, yeah, like those days, like there was that the Montreal, it's gotta be, hard uh, rock. I think that it is based on, I mean, you've been so many places that it could be elsewhere, but landscape looks like hard rock. Um, I, with you folding over the number, like I can't tell, but you'd know. Um, so if you're I'm pretty you know, sure that's hard rock. Um, so a baby. <laughs> the, you do, you totally do like on the upper and like the sunglasses, you do look like a baby, but oh, the, baby. um, the Montreal shirt, you know, with, um, you, you had created something there that was such a, such a huge thing, right? That represented the, the family, the gathering. I think, I don't know who made the comment, whether it was, uh, Sean or, uh, Lewis earlier, uh, was that like who wasn't a part of like the Montreal team back then and and it was kind of a joke right but you had created this huge team and community and you not only did it with your uh, you and Montreal and those around you I shouldn't just say you to your point of chucking out there's a definitely for sure a we there um, but to know small part of what you were doing because it took a lot of energy it took a lot of intention uh, it took a lot of inspiration a lot of emotion uh, but you were able to pull together something that not only represented your own community, but was pulling together really a nation of similar communities where you were you were in that that pod of uh, Horton's pod on the uh, in the northeast flank and uh, Montreal, who you were working with uh, at that point, you know, naming uh, shoes after races like I just don't really see that as much anymore. And you created something special. And now this is, I think when I mentioned it to Jeff, Jeff had felt like he was, he's much closer now to his ultra teammates than he was to maybe that larger uh, team back then. Cause there's so many more people. Um, but that space has also really changed because you were, you were really creating that space. And now all these, uh, all the other companies that have entered this space since have trail companies and maybe sponsoring some trail athletes and have networks but it was really kind of a, a model that you were instrumental in being a part of. I, am I answer? <laughs> yeah, I, no, I guess no. Yeah, I that's funny because there's one of your other. I think what else? You did another. So one interview. Thing I would, if I yeah, could add, right. 
But um, did you see the ultra running meme that was put out recently? It was something, it was just no. like words. And all it said was, if some old guy shows up in a Montreal shirt, watch out or like be, be prepared to get your ass kicked or something. <laughs> like there, And then somebody made the comment. I, I only saw it because somebody tagged me and said, doesn't this sound like Topher Gaylord? But then somebody else was like, well, that would have been a mountain hardware shirt. And then, but that was, you know, 10 years later. And then there was something, oh, what about a Sunsweet shirt? So like all <laughs> these, like, yeah. uh-huh. I was so, I mean, talk about like back in the archives or whatever, but yeah, the hearing like the, you know, the first brand to um, commit to the trail running world of some of the newer brands that are coming out now. And I was like, no, but that was Montreal back in the day. Like no other shoe company. Adidas had the, what did they call it? The, it had that heel flap on the back of it. The all yeah, something. Do you have one of those old ones? Well, I've got the original Adidas Marathon TR here, which was well ahead like of that. But to your trail. point, it still had the kind of finished thing. But blood flap, whatever. But but yes, that yeah. Yeah, but like no brand that had been trail only to my like in the so in the early two thousand. So to say like two thousand ten and beyond, and say oh like only trail running brand. I was like. No, 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 no. Like, but then there's like that um, ownership, right? Like that that small team. There was 25 of us at the Montreal office, maybe up to 40 at one point. That was a pretty small crew that was making all that happen, from production to you know, marketing to accounting to everything. That, shipping. That was that was the crew. So there was a pretty special time locked in there. Um, in my that was six years of of my life from 2001 to six. 2000 2001 to six yeah and such a vocal thing and or a focal thing uh rather and uh, also just uh instrumental like I, I see the other teams and i imagine in like uh, raw dollars or actual dollars maybe companies hoka whatever spending a ton more in this new oh space. way like, more like way more but in terms of focal like brand space like i i don't think that i've seen it uh, since uh, Montreal in terms of like that, that devotion. Um, I mean, you got to remember that was when sponsorship was like a couple pairs of shoes a year and a Jersey. There was no cash. And Scott Jerk did Western States on his own credit card. Like there was very little cash. If there wasn't cash involved for athletes. So like a totally different time in terms of purse strings of you're talking about money and engaged there. Like, I had 80 athletes and 100 events, and that was all giving away water bottles and product and, you know, asking other brands to help, you know, team up and make my package look, you know, package delivery that much better to each event. All right. So let's um, let's go with this next one, Uh, spinning a little bit. So you commented, I think it's somewhere, one of your interviews um, that it took you a bit to get. I think feeling confident in the mountains uh, out there on your own. Like it took you a while to get into the mountain races to approach a hard rock. You had seen it, you'd been comfortable with it. You were scared of it, approached it, um, did incredible, which speaks. One of the questions, all right, a slight tangent, and then I'll go to this photo. The, I mean, one of my initial questions was just going to be, and this just made me think of it and thinking of you and hard rock and maybe one of the articles, maybe from, I don't know, I don't know what magazine it was like years ago where they were breaking out your splits and where you closed you and to your point earlier where you're not necessarily fast though I dispute that you're still pretty quick 
but the you're able to to hang on and you're able to maintain your pace uh, and you're able to close hard and so you end up being able to close as hard anyway so like in hard rock speaking i think jerk closed uh faster than you um maybe carl did uh, that year but otherwise i think you you were either second or third in terms of your closing speed like you're able to maintain and so speaking to how tough uh, you are like one of the questions is just gonna be like what makes you so damn tough? Like you really are. And I know that's a, a very tough uh, thing for you. And I was going to call you, I know even your facial expression there, because you're so, you are like, you're ridiculously tough that the heart, the, you, you take almost like the heart of the race in these hundreds and you're incredible. Um, but you're also so humble, right. That I know that makes you squirm and you know, like, you know, that's, I, I don't see it that way, but there's something where you are like you're phenomenal. And I'm, I'm sure you've had physio testing done like over the years. And, and, you know, maybe you could be like, you know, my VO two is not that much. Maybe my muscle makeup, my, my whatever efficiency lactate isn't that different, but there's something in the way that you're wired with your central governor, that there's gotta be some element where you're able to be so, and you've also commented on embracing, I'm sorry, I'm throwing out multiple concepts here. Uh, being able to be so present in the moment, um, emotionally, spiritually, embracing it for what it is, uh, correcting things that that go wrong, but you're able to be maybe so confident, and maybe you doubt that. Maybe you'd be like, I don't like I'm like everybody else. I don't have certain confidence in certain moments. I have the same fears or whatever. But there's something with your central governor um, up here that you're able to take your your body to places that. 99.9 percent .9 of people even if they tried even if they trained for it can't take them so so like what's that x variable what's in you that makes you and you can it can make you feel awkward but so incredible i want to come back with some silly comment like well i'm german so i'm stubborn <laughs> yeah, you know, right, right. right. knee-jerk reaction but there's yeah. something something the way that you're wired that you can tap into something that most people can't i want to this is not, this is, again, goes back to like how I was talking about how Chuck and I, like, I didn't, I didn't approach it with a plan of like, if I do this, then that. So I didn't, this is all in hindsight to be able to think this way, but I've done a lot of reading and listening to podcasts and interviews about like, like how you're, how we work mentally and like sports psychology and things like that. And something that has stood out to me was how so many athletes have to work on like a positive mindset. And there's this um, really deteriorating mindset that can go for a lot of competitive athletes where they don't, they doubt themselves. They don't think like they don't trust their training. There's, they, they can come up with every excuse and really ruin them, ruin their mental state going into an event. And there's been multiple times when I've like heard people talking either in interviews or asking me and I go, I just have this, I can have it in every other aspect of my life, <laughs> that self-doubt, but I don't have it around running. And so I can think about going to events and it wasn't even, I didn't have to convince myself to think positively. I was just doing visualization. I was prepared. Like I had the, like this positive outcome or yeah, positive outcome pre like thinking in my head going into it. Um, like I remember, gosh, there's a couple, well, Tahoe rim trail FKT. That's not even that long ago. Oh, it is now mm -hmm. seven years ago, but relatively in yep. this conversation. And I came home from Europe with some sort of dysentery and lost 10 pounds in a week. 
like hydration, right? Like everything was going out or up. And my mom finally took me to the ER. I was so nauseous. I couldn't eat. And I, that like, I think I only had 10 days of like finally getting rid of that bug to actually eat. And I think I did one four hour run in the month of September before running the FKT. And all I did that four hour run for was to see if I could eat. Like, can I run and eat? That's my, like, I, that's my test. If I can eat, I can run kind of thing. But like sitting, like literally on, that was when I, uh, we talked about earlier when all my stuff was in storage, I was living out of five duffel bags. I was Mm -hmm. on my parents at my parents' house for a little bit of that. And those 10 days I was like on their couch or to the bathroom. I didn't even step outside. I was (laughs) in such a bad state, but instead of getting bummed out at that point and thinking like, this is over, I, cause I had 12 people flying into Tahoe to help me with this thing in two weeks, or I guess it was three weeks at that time. I was emailing sponsors, telling them where I was at, but that I still had the best intention to be there. I poured tons of time into making spreadsheets. Like I'm a spreadsheet dork, but those ones, like, I just made them even better. Like whatever I could do to like manifest this thing happening. And then, um, if I like, you know, there's not, there's only, there's still 24 hours in a day. And if you're just sitting on the couch, there's you can mm-hmm. do that for so long. I binged watch friends so that I would laugh. <laughs> like I just stayed uh-huh. in this positive mindset for those two or 10 days. And then I started driving to Portland, still a little bit sick and then drove down Tahoe. And then I ran in um, the San Francisco Bay area with uh, by myself, but from Kim and Topher Gaylord's house and then went on to Tahoe and then broke the record by over two hours. I think it was, it was, it was 49, 11. I ran 47, 28. And so like, I guess to answer your question is like, I got to believe it has something to do that I've never had to battle demons as it, as it relates to running. Like Mm -hmm. I said, I can deal with them in many other aspects of my life, but when it comes to running, that is a really positive space for me Mm -hmm. in a lot of realms. And that's why I think it's so important to keep it positive, like to not run myself into the ground and to not over race or because like I, if things are awry in other aspects of life, I know I can you go need there. that. Yep. Yeah. Huh. It would be. And so it's, I mean, I guess it can be that subjective, um, subjective report of it connection with it. Um, and I think that you're, you're, have you had, have you done on any other tests before I say that? Have you done any other tests where you're any physiological variables or anything? Multiple points. I have a higher, for women, I'm at like, I think I'm between 62 and 65 when I last tested, which was in my early 30s. So that's mm-hmm. 15 years ago. Uh-huh. So it's probably not as high now, but, um, or maybe it's close. But so for women, that is on the higher end. So that could be working my favor. I think biomechanically, we made the joke about my legs being long and my li- just being mm-hmm. so limmy. But like biomechanically, I have not suffered through a lot of injuries. Like the alignment of my hips to knees to ankles is good. So like, mm-hmm. I'm not dealing with like knock need or bole or some other biomechanical issue that could cause wear and tear in a hip or a lower back or, so there's some biomechanical advantages, I got to believe. And yeah. To your point. Yeah. Sorry. Keep like going. Constantly trying to learn, like, like I, like I made the comment of like, um, lighter is better. Like I definitely battled with disordered eating throughout my whole career, whether it was some sort of depression going on in life. And so I would counter it with not eating enough or 
like there, you can see it in photos, like how my, my weight can mm-hmm. change here. I can be skeletal or I can be healthy and, or healthy. I don't like that word actually, but like, but I'm but yes, curious. Yes, and so I'm yes. always going to learn. Like, so I know that that is not good for my body. So even though I have a tendency, if stress is high, I don't eat. Mm-hmm. Like I know that now. So I've learned enough about it that I'll keep. And that's what's keeping me in the sport, if I make sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I don't think I've dissected your physiologically. Um, I mean, obviously I know what you look like, but I've never really, I don't know, probed too deep on it. But since you're mentioning it in the moment, I guess that would make sense also though, too. I mean, physiologically you do, you are, you have, you do have a great posture. You've got a little bit broader shoulders. Your arms can act more like pistons. Your legs are powerful. And this speaks to you've done the right things too, right? I mean, you've been consistent with running. You haven't been injured. You've done a good amount of uh, strength training, maybe in the right way over the years. So not to discount all the amazingly hard work that you've done. I mean, that that's for sure as critical a part of the puzzle as anything, but then you do have the physiology, physiology to support it. And then the crux, that third tripod is that, that mental uh, confidence. I don't remember who it was. Somebody may have been Jack Daniels uh, back in the day on coaching, or maybe it was either Jack Daniels or Tim Noakes commented on like the three things that an elite runner absolutely has to have. They've got to have the genetics. They've got to have the training. And they've got to have the absolute belief in themselves uh, where they can absolutely visualize that positive outcome without a doubt. Like maybe they're hurting, whatever, but they ha- they, there's no flinching there. And so I guess really you, you do bring together those three elements uh, effectively, um, which is which is cool. All right. So does that go back to just being German stubborn? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. There's a, a lot of fat unhealthy Germans eating Cheetos that are not nearly as the very as first answer could be why. <laughs> nope. Not it. I'm not going to buy that. Um, okay. Maybe right. I've got one more in me. I've got a all little right, doggy right. that's been sitting in the office way right, too that's long fair. today. All right. So let Actually, me should some say hi. Do you want to come say hi? Oh no. She doesn't want to say hi. Never mind. <laughs> that's fair. And, and that's, that's her prerogative. Um, all right. So let me, let me see the last, uh, I think I had three, three concepts here left. Let me see which one to, uh, go on. Um, all right. Give me one concept and then you're just going to give me a fun story to close out. All right. So let's go with, and I don't know, maybe it'll be, maybe it'll be fun. Maybe it won't. Uh, there was going to be one photo of an FKT Wonderland trail. Cause it seemed like that was an amazing experience for you. I know that is a an absolutely wonderful route. There is going to be another one of places you've gone and the cultures and some of the other countries and seeing you in some of these phenomenal areas and supportive, you basically being a rock star in certain areas, which has to be kind of weird for you also. Cause you're a really humble person. I know you make the face there because I, I know, but like you also have to recognize that you are right. And I think that, you know, you it's, go to a place like China or wherever and you're, you are. So I've signed my- autographs on the back of people's like hundred, $200 <laughs> jackets. And you're like, huh? me? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's fun. So for all of those who, who know you too, like know how grounded you are and how just nice natured you are <laughs> to know that that just makes it all the weirder, I suppose. Yeah. So, all right. Um, but let's go, okay. uh, this, and um pd thank you for being patient um and i think it's <laughs> you said that i've become patient at some point in this interview that is i think that's why i'm still an ultra runner because that's the lesson i need to learn is patience yeah well 
Um, well, PD, help us here, impatience here. But <laughs> it's also funny, before, it's right up, all right, I'm going to get here. I'm not going to drag it out too much. But there's other tangents. Before I knew what PD stood for, like, whatever, I didn't look it up. I saw a PD here and there. I was like, oh, maybe it stands for pet dog. Like, uh, <laughs> it'd be really simple. She named her cars these really basic concept names. Maybe it's just like pet dog. But I think it's pretty awesome that it's named after Yeah, it does dog. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. So let's go uh this here and i promise we'll uh i'll get you off here pretty soon um so uh this concept here so knowing um some of the different periods uh in your life uh, whether they're going really well uh whether there was certain discord in other areas um knowing how much this has been uh, a part of of you um, and I think it very much speaks to not only like career paths that you've chosen, but it seems like this is, this is your, this is your peace. This is your independence. This is you being you, this is you, uh, connecting with your communities, um, pursuing the, the things that, uh, you love. So, I mean, have you introspected on that, um, kind of on this space, whether it be the uh van tendencies the beautiful places that it's gone what it's meant for you where it's maybe uh re-centered you to a certain extent uh in in periods of your uh your life where you have grounding but it's i don't know i guess just i guess it's a very kind of um i guess i'm not pointing to a very clear concept but it's it's kind of what i'm getting at is how much it really touches the depths of who you are and I guess the path that you've chosen uh, and what it's meant for you, I guess, if that's possible to conceptualize and package up in, in this concept here. Mm, probably in its own episode, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's fair. That's totally yeah. fair. Right. Yeah. But the van I do, I am so thankful that like, you know, well, the funny thing about the van, a lot of people thought that I would like be a van life, person like that would be like I would move in and that would be it and like even when I bought it I bought it actually I bought it one year prior to moving into it but I always bought it as an adventure rig I never bought it to be a home so I think there's this like perception hmm. of we have of other people's lives period yeah and so but the fact that I would like take six weeks every summer and live in my element and move around the west and visit people they were like, oh, yeah, that's totally her path. That's where she's going. she's going. And it's like, actually, that's what I love doing is I love adventuring and taking off from. But I I am a, I have a home, like a groundedness that I need that it, that Bellingham really provides for me. I love being here. This community, this like right here, Prime Sports Institute. That's like a, a hub for the community for me and the trail sisters that I have here and like the relationships that I've made with like dear friends that I know I'll grow old with, like in a physical, like, like you and I will grow old together. We've already spent two decades mm -hmm. sharing in each other's lives. And then like in this, like, you know, seeing each other on a daily basis kind of um, sense of community is really important to me. So, but so that said, like when I did move into the van, in my mind was to bridge the gap three, six months. I'll bridge the gap to home ownership, like sell the condo, move into a home. 
And that turned into 20 months. And I think about, I would say about a year in, like I knew that that was a really, I'm glad I ended up having to do it that long because of what I learned in that space and what I was capable of. That was the answer that I came up with. Like, what's the other thing that, that feels like like as much of an accomplishment, it was like figuring out how to live in a van for that long and like Mm -hmm. go through all four seasons. And so I learned a lot about like being alone, like time alone. That was really important to how I interact in relationships. So, and I couldn't got that in some of the other settings that I'd, I'd been in before. So I think it's, it's an adventure rig and having had the time to live in it that long, I'm really thankful to feel set up to, for like another phase of life, if you will, like stepping yeah. in. Yeah. All right. So that's the segue last question. And then one story. And the question isn't necessarily uh, photo based here, but it was when you had mentioned one or <clears throat> I don't remember who you were talking to. And again, I was just watching, I think some or listening to you and some of the interviews and reading a couple of articles just the past couple of days. Like, again, cause I don't really trail, I don't really consume a lot of trail uh, media or whatever. And, you know, if I want to talk to Chrissy, I'll, I don't know, text you or, you know, see what's going on or whatever, rather than go listen to some sort of podcast or something. Um, But prep this just because you sure I wasn't just answering the same stuff. Cause I knew you've told probably tell a lot of the same stories like over and over. And it's like, dude, like I just, I just commented on that, like on a podcast a week ago. Um, But you had commented on like the, the buckets, like the buckets in your life where you compartmentalize things like into buckets or whatever. And I maybe half know the answer, but uh, at this point in your, uh, in your life, in your experience, uh, in your running, um, part of me says that your answer will be, um, like everything else. I don't totally know where this all goes. Like I'm, I'm in the moment. We'll see what happens next week. We'll see what happens next year, but what buckets are still out there that you're curious about that you feel like you haven't, you haven't explored yet. Mm. Oh, I talk, I guess I'm, I'm mixing up in my head because I talk about buckets, like I don't have a career, but I have these buckets that support me energetically, financially, where I put my time. And oh, yeah, so okay. All right, that's so, how I talk about buckets. Right, so yeah. kind of move the concept into yeah. buckets of like experience or whatever, mm-hmm. like what's, what's, what, what's, what do you got? Where are you going? Like, what, what are you curious about? What have you not done yet? How do you? What's on deck? I mean, maybe be like, dude, I don't know. Like, dude, I'll figure it out next week. But if you mm-hmm. were to think about it in that way, anything that would come to mind? Um, I'm. I feel like I'm excited to get back to like travel a bit more. Like, I <laughs> now that you just bought a house. You're like, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm out of my van. I just bought a house, and now now I need to get back to traveling. The house is a bucket. Like that's a. <laughs> That's like a, where I'll put energy, where I'll put finances, where uh-huh. I'll put time. But it's also like it could be financially, it could also be a bucket in another way in a couple of years from now where like maybe it's a rental or something. And that van, like people have asked me, are you selling the van? Heck no, the van finally gets to be what I bought it for, an adventure mm-hmm. rig. Um, but also international travel. Like I feel like I definitely was a rule follower and stuck to the pandemic. And then when it was possible to try and I was curious how to travel, like with the going through all the testing and being vaccinated and cho- like choosing that path to be able to participate in the world and see the world in a vaccinate, like in a pandemic, not a vaccinated in a pandemic state. Like I'm so curious about what's like other cultures and being in different countries and like moving through them, how I do here. But I would also say, like, I 
thankfully was stocked here for a couple of years and I've known it, but then really got to experience it of like, I live in an amazing spot. Like, why do I get on a plane for 40 hours when I could drive to the Olympics in four hours and see like a spot that people come to from all over the world? Like the North Cascades, same. I, it's like, I barely dipped my toe in some of the stuff that I love to go see around the world, but I've got right here. So I think there's like more of a balance that I'm curious about of how do I still feed that wanderlust part of me with like this sense of home. And I think mm -hmm. um, the house will be part of that. Like there'll be times where I'll have to take care of the house and I won't get to go kind of thing. Like, Ooh, what, like I have a limitation on, or I, I don't allow a lot of limitations, but it can be realistic. And sometimes mm -hmm. that might have, that might be a part of balancing the how much away and how much home. Yeah. Okay. All right. So last, uh, and I actually, I had a picture of you and uh, PD on there, but it was just to kind of get on the concept. Um, I've had fun uh, connecting with uh, certain people and hearing some of the stories and, and adventures uh, and knowing that you've had so much time on the trails. Uh, any fun story or a couple short snippets or whatever it is, or maybe you'd be like, dude, sorry, I don't have anything uh, on any fun animal encounters or experiences in your trail adventures uh, over the years. Like Jeff had the run in with a cougar and some other stuff. You've seen birds often try to attack him. And when he was at Cayuga, you almost got run over by a deer. Anything that anything that you've had? No, I've seen a lot of bear on the trail and I love it. Like I never, I have not, I saw a grizzly in Glacier National Park and a couple of brown bears and then, um, or no, not brown, black bears down here and black bear up in Alaska. And it's never fearful. And it's, I'm usually, if I'm with people that are fearful, it's so unique to me that they're having this like really fearful experience. And I'm just in awe of mm -hmm. that we get to witness this creature. Um, but I'm, Nothing like those guys have these, like the owl story that Jeff tells about <laughs> Cascade Crest. I've heard that uh -huh. so many times. Um, but I, I wonder if it's like, I had like Jeff Rose was one of the early people that put that in my um, mindset of me, like running into animals on the trail is like approach them with the energy that like, that they're presenting to you. And if you watch, most of them are curious first, <laughs> they're not aggressive first. So if I come in curious first and respectful, right? I'm not gonna like get up in their business, but if I'm respectful and curious, I all my interactions have been that, just like checking each other out. And uh -huh. I I don't know. But what I thought of was this PD pup. I mean, she I've run with a lot of dogs over the years, and now having my own that loves to get out there and share trail time with me, she's kind of picky though. She won't run roads with me anymore. She will like literally, she's figured out how to have me tow her. She's an she Australian. Three, is she three years? How old is she? Old she's now? six now. Oh, she's six now. Wow. Yeah. But okay. she's an Australian shepherd. Like, how many Australian shepherds do you know that are towed? Like usually they're off the front. This dog has her harness and she knows that I, I will tow her if mm -hmm. we, like she, <laughs> anyways, she's got quite a personality. So she's probably my favorite animal encounter out there. Right on. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, Chrissy, thank you so much for taking. Thank you. What did we kill? We got killed two hours here, man. Just over I'm two. Sure, yeah. I'm sure uh, Jeff Browning would have doubled that. But <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, that's, that's well, all right. Um, all right. Well, uh, thank you so much. Um, I, uh, again, value the time, uh, and I look forward to 
whatever, be in, in contact off of yeah. this platform more. Yeah, All right. Will. All right, cool. All right. So in anything that any, any thanks you want to give out there, any plugs or where to find you? I mean, I guess this day and age, it's like, I don't know, I'll Google her and I'll find her, but anything that you'd like to leave off with or mention or anything. If you know how to spell my name, you can find me. Yeah, just don't don't spell it phonetically because if you're me, you're probably not going <laughs> to spell it or get to it. Um, all right, but I just I'm really thankful that the community is doing what it's doing. That you like people like you have jumped into this new realm, right? Like we could be like, nope, we meet at trail races and that's it. But like, look what you're creating here to bring people together in this virtual space. I'm sure it was really helpful during the pandemic and you're carrying it forward. So I, I think it's cool that we're, we've been around and we're the old salty ones, but we're still like jumping into how to keep, you know, the community. Totally. Rolling. We're, we're, we're getting to be the elders at this point where we've, you know, oh my gosh. Got stories sage? And I've been called the old sage. Like what the, <laughs> here we go. Awesome. But thank you. Ian. Right. I'm glad we got yeah. to do this. Totally. Thanks, Chrissy. All right. Uh, so for all those who tuned into Trails Collective uh, Live, uh, TC Live tonight, thank you so much. Those who are watching it after the fact later and to leave a comment, uh, maybe we'll catch it. Uh, I can notify Chrissy if you've got any questions and I will um, catch you next round. Next round, I think we'll do some events uh, catching up and either next week or the week after, I think uh, we've got uh, David Horton followed by Scott McCoubrey. Uh, so thanks for liking the channel. Thanks for liking the pages. Thanks for providing suggestions. Thank to all those uh, Patreon supporters out there who are supporting the Trails Collective and making this possible. Um, thank you. All right. So until next round, I will check you later. See you.